This episode of Truth's Table is brought to you by our NAACP Image Award-nominated book, Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation. Get it where all books are sold. Sisters, how y'all feel? Brothers, y'all all right? If this is your first time at Truth's Table, welcome to the table. And if you've been sitting at the table with us all these years, we are so grateful that you have been listening to us through these years, and we are inviting you to partner with us and support our work at patreon.com slash truthstable. Now pull up a chair and have a seat at the table with us. Hey y'all, welcome to Truth Table, midwives of culture for grace and truth. I'm McCamini. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, see How you doing, girl? I'm doing okay today. I'm doing okay. How are you doing? <laughs> you are. You are doing all right. <laughs> Come on, no. God. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, dre- I'm dressed like a uh, a church mother's uh, peppermint in her bag today. Is what I it's, it's what I feel like I look like today. The, the green so and white peppermints, the very special ones at the bottom of the bag. Yes, with the pink, you know, you know, to let the people know that the AKA flavors up in here. Huh? Yes, yeah, every <laughs> once in a while I pop out on them. Every once in a while, <laughs> they go, oh, oh, I didn't know. I did not know. I'm a woman of great mystery. So, and, and how and how are you doing? A woman who lives in the light. I am doing well. Listen, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I am really excited about uh, this episode. It's been a long time coming. And so I am really excited that we are still in our uh, Black Brother. We love you. Um, series. And Amen. honestly, by judging by the responses, I believe that y'all love this series as well. Uh, and so, you know, we could not do uh, a series about Black Brother, We Love You without talking about mental health. So this mm-hmm. episode, the topic on the table is Black men and mental health health. And we have the honor of having Dr. Michael Robinson at the table with us. Welcome to the table, Dr. Robinson. How you doing, brother? I'm doing excellent. Uh, I appreciate you inviting me to the show. And I'm looking forward to talking with your listeners afterwards. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we are so glad to have you at this table. Um, And just in case y'all don't know who Dr. Robinson is, let me tell you just a little something about this brother right here. Uh, Dr. Michael Robinson's research interests address the health and well-being of African-Americans and other underserved populations, particularly in relation to substance abuse and mental disorders. Robinson's work has appeared in publications such as the Journal of Social Work Education and the Handbook of African-American Health, Social and Behavioral Interventions. He is currently serving a three-year appointment as a manuscript reviewer for the Journal of Social Work Education. He has also assisted the Council on Social Work Education through appointments to the Council for Racial, Ethnic, and Cultural Diversity and the Commission for Diversity in Social and Economic Economic Justice. He currently directs the school's Maymester program in Northern Ireland and is the Social Work Unit Coordinator for the Marriage and Family Therapy Certificate Program. Robinson's teaching philosophy centers on experiential and team-based learning his students, uh, whose students' community engagement project, projects foster self-respect and dignity among marginalized populations while helping students apply textbook lessons to real-life situations. Welcome to the table, Dr. Robinson. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. <laughs> and I'm excited to be here. 
I, I am so excited. You, you know, I get particularly geek when we when we bring on researchers and higher ed folks. I'm a psychologist <laughs> and a higher ed person myself, uh, and I I am so grateful to have you here and, and to introduce you to our our audience, especially around this topic that Akimini just mentioned, which is critically important when we talk about mental health in Black men. And so, I first want to just uh, take a step back though and give us more opportunity to get to know you. I'd love to know how you how you got into your field of study. Uh, well, uh, and I tell you, um, I was um, uh, undergraduate major in finance, and I was perfectly happy with that. Um, uh, I was bored and burned out. I was working in a uh, bank in Chicago, and uh, a Catholic priest uh, who was a friend of the family, Father George Clemens. I don't know if you all are familiar with him or not, uh, but he uh, asked me if I had any time, uh, any vacation. And I said, yeah, I have about a week. Uh, and, and he invited me to go with him to Louisville, Kentucky. So I, I go with him to Louisville. He says he's going to a homeless shelter with the substance abuse program. And I had no experience with any of that. So I, I go to this shelter and uh, he asked me to wait in this room. He was going to meet with the director. So it was kind of a day room, a large TV, it's probably about 50 guys sitting around, watch some watching TV, others conversing. And all of a sudden, folks started talking to me. I'm a little nervous. Um, so after about an hour, I go to the security uh, guard, guard and ask, uh, where's father? He said, father left about an hour ago. He said, he'll be back to pick you up in the morning. So I didn't know if the guy was joking or not. So I go back and sit down. And after a while, the lights flicker on and off. And okay. he actually had left me in a homeless shelter. All right. So they... Eventually, right. Eventually, show me to a cot in a room with about 25 beds. So, of course, I'm nervous at this point. So, because I've heard all kinds of things about shelter. So, I lay on my uh, my back, I fold my arms, and um, I felt I eventually fell, fell asleep. In the morning, I woke up, I was intact, shoes there. No one had bothered me. So, uh, guys were lining up, so I get in line with them. I go downstairs. I, I get some coffee and breakfast, and I'm sitting at the table with these guys, and I'm talking to them, and I'm a little bit more relaxed now. And they're telling me, some of them told me how they ended up in this situation. Uh, one guy was a school teacher. He lost his job, and eventually his wife left him. Uh, and it, most of it centered around uh, medical bills that they couldn't pay. They lost their jobs. Uh, they lost their apartments, they lost their homes. So no one intentionally, you know, is, is homeless. People move in and out of homelessness. And so eventually father came. I was kind of mad, but I, you know, um, but what can you do to a priest? So all the way home <laughs> on a car, in a, I mean, towards the airport, we get to the plane and I'm pretty quiet. You know, I'm thinking about what I heard from these men. And so I get back to Chicago uh, about three weeks later. Father called me again. He asked me uh, if I wanted to go back with him. He said, I won't leave you, but I want you to meet someone. So I go back. I meet the director of the shelter who asked me, Had, have you ever heard about social work? I said, I've heard about it, but I don't think those two words have ever come out of my mouth at the same time. He took me over to the University of Louisville, where I met the dean of the School of Social Work. And to make a longer story short, <laughs> uh, I sell my stuff, I quit my job, I get in the car and I drive to Louisville and I enroll in the graduate program.
program in social work. Um, they allowed me to stay at the shelter and the staff housing, but it wasn't conducive for, for studying. So then I eventually moved out. And then uh, my focus was on social work. Um, so I'm at the University of Louisville. Mm-hmm. Do I have time to complete the story? Oh, please, yeah. Please <laughs> so continue. I, I'm at the University of Louisville, and I had been out of school roughly, I don't know, 15 years. And my first paper I had to do was a 25-page paper. I have never had to write a paper that long. My undergraduate degree, of course, was in finance. So I go mm-hmm. to the writing center uh, because I do know about using resources. So I'm at the writing center. Um, so much, um, two, three times a week that I married my writing center tutor. Uh, (laughs) so, so, so we get, we get married and, um, and she was an English major. So we get married. And so, um, after I graduated with my master's, she had her master's and she said, uh, I'm going to get a PhD. What are you going to do? So I said, what do you mean? She said, I'm going to get a PhD. What are you going to do? So I said, well, I I guess I get one too. (laughs) And uh, so I applied and re-enrolled. And so we each got PhD. She's an English professor at Spelman. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's how how I ended up in this field. Wow. (laughs) Wow. We we got so many things in there, so many plots, turns, and twists. We got... We got we we got we got the good father, and we know he, we know he wrong for leaving you there. You just want to go on record, right? but but we can see how God worked that out, right, to give you an experience that has has shaped you. You even got a little love story in there. We we are here, Doctor Robinson, for all the stories that you have to tell. So I, I imagine I just I just have one follow up question to that. Sure. If you, if you were to describe a moment or um, yeah a, a moment in which you felt like the light bulb went off for you. Uh, especially with, as, as someone who has a finance background where you thought, mm-hmm. like, I need to pivot into this type of service uh, to, to, for other humans. I need to study this. I need to understand this. Is there a particular moment where you feel like the light bulb went off? Uh, yes. I, I, I met a gentleman while I was at the shelter who was suffering with depression. Mm-hmm. Um, however, then and now people are misdiagnosed, and you know this, or yes or misdiagnosed. And, and that's what happened. And I had a brother who was misdiagnosed who suffered from depression. And I ended up committing suicide. So mm. when that came back to my mind after talking to this young man, I said, there it has to be something that could be done about this. Because all too often it happens to black men. Uh, some of the questions that are asked when you're getting assessed is, do you sometimes cry for no reason? Most black men are going to say no. They're not going to be honest about that question. Um, and then they're not going to be familiar with the terms. We use depression too loosely. You know, mm-hmm. I'm feeling bad. I'm depressed. Um, and so oftentimes, um, I, you know, white physicians, white mental health professionals miss or, or do not even do- diagnose African-American men because they don't know how to communicate with them. Mm. So. Wow. No, thank you for sharing that. Sure. Um, and even just your your history, even with your um, your late brother, you know, who died by suicide. You know, um, I am curious, just based off how you're saying that the misdiagnosis of black men, you know, is so common. I'm wondering um, about uh, what are the barriers, would you say, um, to black men uh, taking or even receiving 
uh, good, let me say good, <laughs> mental health uh, care? What would you say, if you had to name some of those barriers, um, what, what would you say those, those barriers are for those Black men and how can they overcome them? Okay. Um, first barrier, I would say a stigma attached to mental health care. Okay. Um, all too often, I hear my white colleagues and friends saying, oh, I can't do this Tuesday because I have to see my therapist. <laughs> they practice good mental health and they're not ashamed of it. I've never heard a, a black colleague or friend say, you know, I'm, I'm seeing my therapist. You know, mm -hmm. if they are, they don't say it. It's a shame. It's a stigma attached to it. And, and in all honesty, it doesn't help with the black church uh, mm -hmm. because they would think it's just a spiritual malady and you just need to pray about it. Mm -hmm. However, mm -hmm. God made therapists too. And, and, right. and so praying in addition to seeing the therapist is what I think you, you know, would be the best uh, course mm -hmm. of action. However, oftentimes uh, black preachers just want to pray with you and there's nothing wrong with that, but you need to also see a therapist. So that's, that's one thing. Another that's right. thing is under insurance or no insurance. That's right. Uh, you can have an insurance policy with a job. They might pay for eight sessions or something like that. It's always limited. Uh, and then you have to jump through hoops in order to get those sessions. You have to try to find someone. And if you can't find someone who looks like you, oftentimes you'll find someone who does not. And you might, I'm not saying across the board, you're going to receive uh, uh, not so good care, but I will say, uh, Oftentimes, black men or black women can relate to black men and women better. Uh, and so I would say under insurance or no insurance. Um, stigma, no insurance. I would also say that we, we don't know when we're not feeling well. You know, mm -hmm. we don't know. You know, you can lay in mm -hmm. bed and you just don't feel like getting out of bed. You know, you don't know why. Maybe you're just tired, you know. Right. Uh, and, and so... You don't, you can't recognize those feelings when something is wrong. You don't have the words to say when something is wrong. And, and oftentimes you can have parents telling the kids, get your lazy behind out of bed and go to school or go to work mm -hmm. and not knowing that something could be wrong with, with your child or your husband mm -hmm. or your wife. Mm -hmm. uh, and so because we need more education on mental health in the black community. Uh, and, and I think in order to overcome that, uh, I think you can train barbers, beauticians, nail gallery people mm -hmm. that, cause I know black men, I don't, but I know black men who are at the barber once a week. And I know looking at you two, you know, you don't miss any hair appointments at all. Well. And so if, if you're <laughs> there sitting in a chair or getting your nails done and then the beautician, the barber, the, the loctician or whatever starts to talk those conversations with you, I think you'll feel a little bit more comfortable. So I, I do think, and there are some programs where people are training these people to talk about mental health. So you need people in the community. You need black ministers also right. to be trained. And I think these are the places where black people are every Sunday, at least the majority of black women, I can't speak to yes. black men, are in church, but black men are in the barbers. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think if you can train people in the community, community mental health workers who actually look like and you trust these people uh, to talk to you about mental health. So I, I think those are ways to overcome it. 
Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So helpful. So helpful. Yeah. And, and yes, Akimi and I, we do like a, a, a good hair and makeup appointment. We do. We do. We do. You called that right, Dr. Robinson. You were right about this. Oh, yeah. Well, it, and, and I wanted to, you know, as, as I was listening to you, one of the things that you said that struck me is you talked about um, kind of, you gave us like a word, word picture, right? Of this, of this kid in bed and the parent is like, get your lazy butt up. Right. And I, and, and the word lazy is what, is what kind of uh, rang in my head and just other stereotypes related to black people mm-hmm. and the way that the internalization of racism causes us to um, maybe overlook when we are truly in pain uh, because of the ways in which black people are caricatured and stereotyped and have been significantly harmed by white supremacy. Can you talk for us a little bit about your thoughts of just the, the larger kind of macro social issues that are weighing on black men's minds and hearts? Okay, um, that's a good question. Uh, Excellent question, actually. I would have to say um, racism is inherent in in everything we do in our lives, Uh, whether it's where we work, where I work, where you guys work, you know, it's there. Um, And so I do think oftentimes that plays a big part in, in our mental health. Um, in everything we do, I can go to a store. I have a PhD. I go to a store. I'm still followed. <laughs> you know, what does that do to me to always have to feel like I have to justify, you know, pick something up and say, you know, and put it down so they'll stop looking at me. Uh, when police pull up behind me, again, they don't see a PhD. They just see a, a black guy, you know, and so I panic. So what does that do to my mental health when I see a policeman? And rather than me think they're here to serve and protect, I'm thinking, I hope I don't get killed by them. So, That's I mean, right. all of these things weigh on me generally. And and some of my white colleagues, they never have that experience. They see police, they feel protected. I see them, I feel like, hey, this could be the end if they pull me over and I do or say the wrong thing. They're never followed in stores. I'm always followed in stores. I'm always nervous when I, and as I said, it doesn't matter who you are, what you have. It's the only thing they see is the color of my skin. And I'm a black Mm -hmm. male. I could get on the elevator and white women will clutch their purses a little bit tighter. Uh, If I'm standing in line at a store and, uh, and they notice I'm behind me, a, a guy will turn to the side as if, you know, he can't pick my pockets now, you know. And and so all of this, just it just all plays on your psyche. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do think that when you're living this life day in and day out, you're bound to have problems. You're bound to get mad and explode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and then don't raise your voice because now you're angry. And you all mm-hmm. know that, right? You're angry mm-hmm. and, oh, yeah. and I, I feel scared, you know. I'm, I feel intimidated by them. Uh, even at work, I have to watch the tone of my voice with some of my colleagues because the first thing is a, a stiffness. Mm. And so I, I have to constantly be on guard. And that's no way to live. Yeah. <laughs> and so if this is happening to me, I know it's happening to a lot of a lot of black men. Uh, just mm. just living every day, that underlying systemic racism that's there and job applications, you know, your name is Jamal, your, 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 your application might go in a different pile. Uh, 
And so, I mean, just the stigma of wearing natural hair, it just recently became acceptable. But before you all know this years back, it was a bit, it was, it was a stigma attached to natural hair. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so over time it gets better, but I think with the last previous election, we were set back 20, 25 years. And, and what we're seeing now across the country and a lot of the red states, it's going to set us back. Mm. And, and I think we have made some progress, but now all of that has been wiped away. In states like Georgia, especially Florida, Texas, uh, it, it's so all of these things uh, play into, you know, how we perceive mental health, because all of these factors affect us on a regular basis, whether you realize it or not, whether you have the vocabulary to express it or not, this is what's going on. And sometimes people just get mad because of it. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that, Um, Dr. Robinson, even just sharing your own uh, um, personal experience in the ways that you have to grapple, you know, with just the constant barrage of, of racism that shows up because it is endemic and it is systemic. It shows up everywhere. And thank you for um, sharing that with us and illustrating that uh, and making it plain uh, for us. You know, why don't we take a quick commercial break to pay some bills? <laughs> we will come back uh, to the table to talk to Dr. Dr. Robinson a little bit more about Black men and mental health. So don't go nowhere, y'all. We'll be right back. Our NAACP Image Award-nominated book, Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation, is making waves and shifting culture. I closed this book feeling like I had just partaken in a multi-course meal filled with grace and the courage to carry on. And I believe you'll finish this book feeling the same way. Morgan Harper Nichols, artist and poet. Buy Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation, at our website or wherever books are sold. And we are back here at the table uh, with Dr. Robinson talking about black men and mental health. See, go take it away. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, I'm I'm so grateful that you are in this field. Um, When I was studying, one of the things that I I was very aware of was the lack of African-American male colleagues and students with me. And so, I'm always grateful um, for uh, people, social scientists, mental health providers uh, that are black men um, because they are talked about a lot and not talked to and learned from to the extent that they ought to be. And so I'm just so grateful that you're in this field. I know that also a part of your uh, most recent research is looking at black men and policing. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about that, that project, those projects with us and kind of what what you're seeing and what you're beginning to learn as you look into those topics. Okay. Uh, thank you for asking that. Um, I was at uh, East Carolina University for about four or five years. Uh, I had finished teaching a class. I was walking back to my uh, office and a black guy, that young man, I'd never seen him before, uh, asked me, he said, what are you doing about all of these black men being killed by police? I said, what do you mean? What am I doing? He said, just, what I thought. And he walked away. Mm. So I go to my office, I'm fuming, you know, I'm saying, who the heck does he think mm-hmm. he is? Mm-hmm. But you know, I thought about it more. And I said, this guy was right. I, I wasn't doing anything. And as an academic, at least I can write about it. Yeah. 
So at that moment, I shifted my research focus to uh, police interactions with African-American men. And what I thought I was going to find was it was all these white policemen, you know, doing this, but it's it's not. It's, it's some of us. So uh, and so you can't generalize and say it's just white policemen because oftentimes they, they're black or Latinx, black or brown folks. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking into it. And um, and I looked at the Washington Post has a good database. And um, um, and so I looked at that uh, and policing uh, uh, Americans. I looked at several different databases. And and what I had found out was oftentimes these men were suffering with some type of uh, mental illness. Uh, Mm. Rather, it was not it doesn't have to be a, a severe mental illness. It can be just just a slight ADHD even or something like that. And what I found was oftentimes when they're getting stopped by police, because there's always been a confrontational relationship between blacks and police. And this goes all the way back to the slave patrols. And actually, it goes back to how the police departments were formed after the after the uh, uh, emancipation. And I put up my. Quote fingers. After emancipation, uh, the slave patrols soon became police. Uh, and that was the start of the police department. And so they had been formed to police black men, police black people. And so, and this carried on up even up until today. The black community is over policed. Uh, you could go in some white communities and you never see a police car. You go in a black community and every other car is a police car. So we're over police. And because of who we are, we, we're stopped for no apparent reason because, hey, he's black. He's got to be carrying a, a gun. He has to have drugs on it. Mm-hmm. All I have to do is pull him over. I'll find something. And, and, and this is going on oftentimes. And people are fed up with it. Uh, and what we find is that because of this over policing in black communities, and the stereotypes that go along with black men, we get stopped more often. And oftentimes it can lead to a fatality. Uh, and, and, and it's no secret to anyone who's on this podcast that black men are more likely to be killed by police. I think it's the second or third leading cause of death of black men is police departments. Mm-hmm. Um, there are Roughly, I don't know, maybe 35,000 different police departments across the country and probably less than five or 10 percent report uh, interactions with uh, with civilians. So if they kill a civilian, they don't have to report it to any federal governing body. So if you don't hear about it on the Internet or on the news, did it happen? And that's what's going on because of cell phones now, obviously. We're finding out about it when it happens. But this has been going on forever. We just didn't have the technology to report it. And it wasn't important to report. Hmm. Uh, And so it's a a problem that has been going on ever since after the Civil War with with Black men and, and, and some type of law enforcement agencies. Uh, it's not getting any better. And you would think with body cams, <laughs> it would be a little bit so better. Not. But but it's not because it's in- inherent in the way oftentimes police officers think that they're right, you're wrong, and they're going to be vindicated if something happens. 
And you can always use the excuse, uh, he reached for my gun or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so, and it spilled over into civilian populations. And now you're hearing more and more uh, civilians are going Mm -hmm. out shooting black people and say, I I fear for my life. You know, that's something they can always say. I fear for my life. And I think, you know, since Rodney King, it has been in the news more and more, but it, it's still a problem. And again, I venture to say every black male that I know has a little bit of fear of police. I mean, we need them. I'm glad to hear it will be anarchy without them. But however, I think um, a lot of training has to take place in order for these ingrained attitudes to change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, Dr. Robinson, you made so many um, different points about the fact that our community is over-policed. We're also um, in that over-policing, we're under-protected. Um, yes. And then even just the ways in which civilians are now taking matters into their own hands and execu- executing our people um, with impunity from, you know, Trayvon Martin um, down to just a couple days ago, a G.K. Owens in Florida, black woman that was killed um, by a white woman who is still not arrested right. um, for, for killing her. I'm, I'm curious about the ways in which systemic racism um, impacts uh, the, um, how can I say, um, the relational, um, the interpersonal relationships between black men and women. And so on one hand, I want to know how Black women can support Black men in their mental health care, but also how can that care come back to Black women too, um, seeing as though we are under this same, unfortunately, uh, system of you know, white supremacy. I'm curious about the ways it has you know, impacted our interpersonal relationships, but also how can we support one another in getting uh, mental health care? Specific emphasis on black men, but also black women too. I'm curious about your own insight on in, on that. Well, I I do think um, and it's no secret that there are more black men in in jails or pen, penitentiaries than there are in college, right. and and black women are probably the fastest growing educated population in the country, and so there's a disparity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do know a lot of, and I have five sisters. Wow. <laughs> So I do know that there's a problem uh, mm. finding a suitable mate. Uh, yes. And and then when you do get someone, uh, like I get compliments all the time, not for me, but for my wife, telling mm. her that I'm lucky to have her, which, which I am. Um, I, I'm very fortunate to have the wife that I have. And so I even find I don't listen to her all the time. When she'll say something like, you know, you need some support, you need some help because of, you know, be just being a man, you know? And mm-hmm. so what I, what I find is we don't listen. Mm. And if, if, if you're truly in a solid relationship with your significant other, uh, and, and, and whether it's a spouse or just, just a strong relationship that mental health has to come up. You have to talk about it. I think mm-hmm. podcasts like this or other shows that have uh, black audiences should talk about mental health to, yes. to take the stigma out of it. And I do think that if someone would have told me that you need to see a therapist, I would have been offended. And I think that's mm-hmm. what's going on with a, a lot of black 
folks. Just we get offended at it. So I think we need to take the stigma out of it. And it's just like going to the doctor to see about a headache you or stomach ache. You go to the doctor for mental health, you know, uh, just a wellness check. It's nothing wrong with it, but the stigma is so great that it's almost an insult when you tell your significant other, maybe we need to see a marriage counselor or something like that. It's, I don't need nobody telling me what to do. I know what I'm doing. And I, I do think we have to, we have to start working on taking that stigma out of it. Mm-hmm. And if more couples, again, significant others made that part of the conversation that it would, it would help. It would start to take the stigma away from it. I mean, even if you have, you have, you have a regular primary care physician, you know, even if they say, hey, maybe you, you should see a therapist at least once or twice a year or something like that. Just make that part of practicing good physical mm-hmm. and mental health right. that we go to our doctor once a year or twice a year, like I do for physicals. Why not go see a therapist once or twice a year just to get mm-hmm. some perspective or insight? Um so I, I do think that um, I, I had a problem with sleeping, mm-hmm. um, not sleeping through the night. And so I go see a pulmonologist and he suggested that I needed cognitive behavioral therapy because I am, you know, by trade a therapist. I didn't take offense to it, but I can imagine some of my friends would have taken offense to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I didn't think anything was wrong, but this guy didn't know me. He just knew I had some certain symptoms that, again, again, being a therapist, being trained like this, I didn't see him, but he did, but I didn't get offended. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, it didn't yes. offend me that he said that. And so I do think that that's the biggest issue. Uh, and when you have a strong Black relationship, that should be part of the conversation. Yes. Yeah. That should be part of the conversation. That's so helpful, Dr. Robinson. I, 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 yeah. And what, what I'm struck by is the ways in which our, our ability to be offended can cause us to not really mm-hmm. hear or want to hear or to receive help that's being laid out before us. And so just the importance of, of, of really doing the self-introspection, right? Like, why is right. this offensive to me? What, is, what, what does right. it say about who I am? What do I think this is saying about who I am? Um, and obviously with that white supremacist and racialized backdrop, there's so many reasons for people to be inclined to resist Mm-hmm. Um, but nevertheless, as you mentioned, the importance of physical hygiene, um, we need mental health care, mental hygiene as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you had mentioned earlier, um, the ways in which, for example, like the, the black church could actually, can actually be harmful if, if it is espousing, um, rhetoric that minimizes, uh, mental health care or pathologizes people who have depression or anxiety, for example. Um, can you think of some other ways that faith, um, can contribute negatively and positively in the mental health of black men? What, what have you seen in your research? Well, what I've seen in a uh, positive sense is when you have a pastor who's, you know, I, I don't want to be offensive, but who's gone to uh, higher ed, who <laughs> understands, who has been <laughs> trained in higher ed. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to someone who, you know, you're going to seek therapy from and they've not been formally trained. 
that they're just coming from a biblical perspective. And and we know you can use the Bible to keep your wife down, make her a second or third class citizen. You know, well, people do religion like that all the time. And so I do think you need a um, minister who's have some type of formal training in, in mental health care. Uh, and that that's a positive thing. That could be a positive thing. I he probably won't listen, but I have a good friend who who's into the ministry. And um, when he quotes the Bible, it's verbatim. And, you know, mm-hmm. and that's harmful to black women, I will say. Mm. I think it's harmful to black women because of the way in which women were treated then is entirely different now. And women, if I told my wife, you need to stay home, take those shoes off and get in the kitchen to cook. I wouldn't be here talking to you guys now. <laughs> you wouldn't be in the land of the living. That's just my guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I even have to, I even have to watch how I say things, you know, mm. I, I can't say, Hey, hand me that. You know what I mean? You have to, you, you, even it starts at home. You have to say, hey, That's would right. you mind? Or, hey, honey, mm-hmm. or something like that. So, um, and so I think if with open communication with your minister mm-hmm. um, and them not telling you, let's pray about it, but them saying, hey, here's a name of a therapist, or if they're formally trained, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then they can make an appointment. We can pray. Because that helps as well, but you need a little bit more as well. And I think if that happens, that will overcome it. I mean, even doing a sermon on it occasionally to talk about what's going on. Because if we talk about systemic racism and how it affects all of us, men and women, if we talked about that in church, to know what, what does this do to you as a person? And sometimes when your husband comes home and he's angry, understand mm-hmm. this might be gone. Sometimes if your wife or your significant other comes home and they're mm-hmm. angry or upset, don't push it under the carpet, you know, talk about it, you know, uh, and, and and don't take offense every time if someone's mad. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know what my wife has gone through when she comes home and she's in a bad yes. mood. And so if she's in a bad mood, then usually I'll get in one too. And then it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, don't say anything. So I have to be more understanding and more open that there are factors out there that Mm -hmm. play a role in how all of us feel. And if your significant other doesn't understand that, then then it's a problem. Mm -hmm. And again, I get back to the only way in which it can get better is is through education. Mm -hmm. It's through uh, educating the people in the community about it, primary care physicians talking about it, wives, significant others, husbands talking about it, mm-hmm. and the black church talking about it. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And yes. it's it's yes. so powerful the point that you raise when someone who has moral authority, so if you're thinking about a pastor or a preacher, um, preaches on that topic or tells their own story, their own narrative. I can think of uh experiences hearing pastors say publicly uh, or acknowledge publicly um, that they are survivors of physical or sexual abuse. And yes. mm-hmm. uh, particularly as a, a black male saying something like that publicly, the way in which it transforms that community. And also I know there's a, a sermon, a community, um, 
uh, Pastor um, Howard John Wesley uh, has specifically about his own struggles with anxiety and anxiety disorder and really takes time in the sermon yes. to unpack his symptoms and what he how he tried to fix it on his own and then the help and support that he that he needed. And those things are transformative to a community. Yes. So I'm so thankful, Dr. Robinson, for you sharing that. And also that's a reminder and a nudge to many of the folks who listen to our podcast, many of which who are uh, spiritual leaders, pastors, spiritual directors, yes. um, that your own story is so important in sharing that with the community. And I'm glad you mentioned the part about sexual abuse in men. It happens. Oh, when they're yes. when they're young boys and and it's something that they're always angry about but they That's dare right. not mention it and That's so right. oftentimes it takes place and no one finds out about it because mm-hmm. you're too embarrassed to say something and and see that perpetuates That's and right. and now you're growing up angry and mad and untrusting and, and you're mm-hmm. bitter because mm-hmm. just like with a woman when it happens with a man it it, it just affects you it, how can yes, it, it not? Does. Yes. And in the black church, it takes place a lot. I mean, we talk mm-hmm. about the Catholic church, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it also takes place in the black church a lot. Mm-hmm. And and then even if it's reported, it's the, the, the minister is on such a pedestal that people tend to overlook it. Yes. And so um, and that happens. Um, and so I, I do think that hmm. we, we have to talk about it and, and, and men have to say to other men or on the pulpit, if it's happened to them, because then it kind of lets people know, hey, it's okay to talk about it. Uh, because mm-hmm. if you can't talk about it, then you're not going to get treatment for it. Mm, that's right. So important. Yeah. It, um, you know, in the words of Ida B. Wells Barnett, shining the light of truth, right? Mm-hmm. On this, on this darkness, you know, yes. on this, this, you know, on the, the mental health stigma, on the sexual abuse, um, on the physical abuse, the emotional abuse, all of that, bringing it all into the light. Yes. Um, because we know that there's healing, you know, um, in, in the light to be had. Uh, you know, Dr. Robinson, I'm curious, you mentioned, you know, earlier on in our conversation, you talked about uh, the ways in which we are, uh, particularly Black men, you know, are misdiagnosed. I would love for you to talk about the ways that, um, you know, the brothers, you know, uh, on the show and, and the sisters too, might be able to identify, you know, um, maybe some some symptoms or or or, or, or recognize when it's time for them to see a mental health professional. So um, I'm thinking here about. Um, the ways in which, you know, uh, what are some signs, some indications? How does it show, how does depression and anxiety show up for us? Because listen, as a black woman, we can pile up degrees. <laughs> so this is what we do. We can do it in our sleep. And I'm wondering, is that a function? Is that a manifestation? Even though it's a positive outcome on paper, is that a, is that a sign or uh, of, of something deeper? Even though it's a positive you know, outcome. What are some ways that we can begin to identify um, how depression and anxiety and maybe even um, bipolar, you know, um, these symptoms show up for us within our community? Can you speak to that? Yeah, um, a weight gain, 10 pounds up or 10 pounds down, and you're not trying to do it. Okay. You know what I mean? So all of a sudden now you, you've gained 10 pounds or you've lost 10 pounds and that wasn't your intention. So 10 pounds is, is, kind of the limit that, hey, maybe something is going on. Sleep. You're not sleeping through the night. You're constantly waking up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like like I am. You know, you're constantly mm-hmm. waking up. Uh, and you can't get a good night's sleep. You're irritable a lot. Mm-hmm. And you don't know for no apparent reason. Someone could say good morning. Hey, it's not a good morning. You know, just right. just right. Uh, irritability. Yes. Um, and and you, you lose focus a lot of the times. You know, you're, you're sitting there, you know, I should be on my laptop. I should be grading it. Now my mind's wandering, uh, thinking about other things. Uh, and so those are things that if, if you've been with someone a while and you notice the change in them, then chances are there's something going on. And it, it, it could be minor, it could be severe, but you, those are things that you can look for. And it's just really the overall demeanor of that person is it's changed. Something's going on. You're irritable. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. said hi, and you're ready to bite my head off, you know. Right, right. Um, and so, so you look for those types of changes. Maybe the person used to golf or play basketball, and now they're not doing that as much. They're staying home a lot. Or um, sometimes you might have wine or alcohol a couple of times a week. Now it's almost every day. You know, and so increase in, and then those habits, um, staying out more or either not going out, you making changes that are not normally your course of action. So those are things to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, but irritability is a big sign. Um, being withdrawn is another sign. Not doing the things you once loved is a sign. And the weight gain is a sign. So. Those are just some of the things off the top of my head that I can think about. Thank you so much, Dr. Robinson. Those are those are really, really concrete mm-hmm. things. And I, I imagine as people are listening, they're they're thinking about themselves and others in their lives as you as you lay out some of that, um, some of those some of that criteria that ought, ought to signal us. As I mentioned to you before, we we've got all kinds of listeners and certainly we have black men who listen. And I, I'm curious, Dr. Robinson, if as we as we end our time together, if you would speak directly to them. Uh, maybe your, you know, barbershop speech. Uh, that what, what would you share with them um, in terms of wanting them to care for their mental health and the importance of it? Could you talk directly to our Black male listeners? Uh, I, I would say this, that it can tear up any relationship you have with a significant other if you don't mm-hmm. attend to it, because eventually you will, you will chase them away. And if you can't be honest with them, you can be honest with your primary care physician. And they can make a recommendation and it's it's all confidential. No one will know if that's the route you want to take. The, the important thing is, is for you to recognize it in yourself. And, and I gave some symptoms. And if those are things that you're feeling or going through, and I mean, even crying sometimes for no reason, crying over a movie that you would have laughed at a couple of years ago, you know, just overly emotional. Those are all signs. And if you don't want to open up with your significant other, open up with your primary care physician. See if you could get a recommendation for a therapist, because without proper care and treatment, you won't get any better. It'll only get worse. So Mm -hmm. I would say recognize it in yourself. And if you see changes in yourself or if people are telling you you're not the same. Something's going on. What's wrong? People are constantly asking you what's wrong. Chances are they see something that you might not see. And so I think go get help. Go mm. talk to someone about it. Mm. Thank you so much, Dr. Robinson. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Robinson. Please, if you can just tell our listeners where they can follow your work, where can they can read your work, where can they follow um, follow you to learn more um, about what your study and what you do and your research. Well, well, I do have a Google Scholar account. Um, oh, wonderful! And that that lists all my publications, uh, and so uh, and so that's one way to find me. Uh, you can always Google me, Michael Robinson at University of Georgia Social Work, and my name should pop up. Okay. And so, uh, and then you can also see my words, but all of my manuscripts I've written in book chapters, they're all out on Google Scholar. Most of them are free downloads. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we want to thank you so much for taking a seat, a seat at the table with us, Dr. Robinson. Uh, we are grateful for the insights and your wisdom uh, that you provided uh, to us here at this table uh, and of course, we want to thank our sisters for taking a seat at the table with us this week. Let's keep the conversation going. Well, and the brothers too. Tweet us your thoughts about this episode. Black brother, we love you. Black men and mental health. Use the hashtag Truth's Table. And black women, did y'all know that we have a discipleship group on Facebook? Well, now you do. Make sure you follow Truth's Table on Facebook and join our Facebook group. Answer all the questions, y'all, in order to get admitted into the group. Invite your homegirls to join us too. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Truth's Table, or email us your thoughts about this episode at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Truth Table has a Patreon account so y'all can send your love offerings to patreon.com slash truthstable or you can bless us at our paypal.me slash truthstable. Truth Table's audio producer is Joshua Heath. Our video producer is Daryl Bradford and Truth Table's executive producers and hosts are Kemeny Uwan and Christina Edmondson. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye y'all.